So many times when you think about July 4th and weekends, we think about the features of the weekends and not the benefits. The features uh, that are like what's the cool parts about it. So the cool parts of July 4th weekend are fireworks and cold beverages. And in our family, we're going to gather everyone together. I'm going to do a new brisket recipe. It's just going to, that brisket's going to be just perfect. 11 pounds of beautiful marbled meat. Oh, this is going to be awesome. But, and we're going to hang out. And that's a really cool thing. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when, when you buy a car, you, you, the, the features are nice, but the benefits are huge. Like if you get a car that has super cool features, but the transmission's bad, you're going to be struggling the whole time. You'll just never, it'll never work. And, and, and humanity, we, we like the features. We struggle with the benefits sometimes because the benefits are the, the pieces that are underneath that gird and, and, and support and are foundational for the way we live, live our lives. And July 4th is like that in, in kind of a big way. It's all the fun stuff we, we're, we're into, but we struggle sometimes with why we're really here and how we, how we got to America. And, and it's fascinating to think about how embroiled we are in the conversation about who gets in and who doesn't get into America and, and, and all of those kind of pieces. Think about immigration and, and all of those all of those things. My family was an immigrant family. It just so happens that we came into the United States in the 1840s instead of in the 2000 and 2010s. And we came because of the benefits of the United States. One of those was religious freedom. And my great, 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 great grandfather, Carl Rudolph Klinkenberg, who I'm sure was about 5'5", five, five, 200 pounds, and mean as heck, but he, uh, he left Germany. And he left Germany in about 1842 and came across to America because in at Germany in that time, the, there was a, a rule from the Edict of Nantes called the, 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 the you, you decided if the, the Latin phrase that came out was cuius regio eius religio, whosever region he gets to choose the religion. And so the, the little guy who ran the little duchy in the Klinkenberg part of Germany said, you're going to have to not confess Christ the way you want to confess Christ. You can't worship the way you want to. If it's going to be a Calvinist uh, duchy, then you're going to have a Calvinist, Calvin, uh, Calvinist catechism. You're going to sing Calvinist hymns. That's how it's going to be. And there was a letter that came through called the note brief. It was called a heartfelt letter that came from a man named F.C.D. Winnikin, whose great, great, great granddaughter is 95 and goes to church here, Phyllis Talmadge. Um, the, the Klinkenberg got a hold of that heartfelt letter, and he said, we're going to America. And they landed in a little place called White Creek, Indiana, and was a pastor in a church in the middle of nowhere, and, and led people to Jesus and did their thing. But they came. Carl Rudolph Klinkenberg and his family were immigrants in the 1840s, and, and it's what they did. It's, it's, it's how they worked. It's what made America great. It was not about the features of neat farmland and all of that stuff. It was about the benefit of being able to live in a place where you were free to worship and to serve the Lord the way you, you saw fit. One of the things that happened that was super cool in our church uh, when we re redid the sanctuary uh, was, was that we started taking things off and taking things apart. And the German immigration was huge from, say, the 1840s all the way into the middle 1900s. Uh, I'd say right after World War I and, and into World War II, the German immigration was huge. And so our congregation was founded again by German immigrants, and when they built the sanctuary in 1914, 104 years ago, um, there was a lot going on in Europe in 1914. 
A lot of people who spoke German killed a lot of people and made a lot of problems. And so the city of Orange came to our church and said, hey, you crazy Germans are, we're, we're scared like crazy of you people. You're nuts. Do you know what the Kaiser's doing over in Germany and the Battle of the Sarn and all this stuff? And, and the people then, some of the grandfathers of the people who sit in our pews this morning said, it's all good. It's about the country. It's about God and our ability to worship God. It's not about nationalism here. And so when we popped the... We thought what was the cornerstone, uh, we popped off a metal cover of the English cornerstone. There underneath it was the German cornerstone. San Johannes Evangelische Lutheranische Kirche, UAC, Unaltered Augsburg Confession, 1914. In 1914, the city was nervous about what the Germans were doing here and how many of them there were and that our schools were bigger and our culture was more powerful than anybody else in the city of Orange. But the more things change. In 1941, this building, Walker Hall, that we're worshiping in this morning was kind of uh, uh, conscripted into service by the United States military as El Toro Marine Base and uh, Tustin Marine Corps Air Station as, as they didn't have enough spots to get the young men from here to there and then out to the Pacific. They took the bottom level of Walker Hall and all of this and the young men came from all over America to be trained, to be bivouacked, and then to be deployed into service into the military. And they thought the German girls were cute. <laughs> so much so that there were a number of people who came from, say, New York City, like Charles Shade and Carl Rosberg, who then met the girls, Mildred Schmetkin and uh, Lorraine, uh, Lorraine Shade, Lorraine, she's Marion Harris's sister. Uh, but they, uh, they met and married and settled down and became parts and fixtures of leaders here. My point is that we have lots to be grateful for as a country that generations come and generations go under the freedom that we celebrate today and this week. And the benefit of the freedom leads to the features that we enjoy and take care of today. One of the scriptures I'd like to share with you this morning is from Matthew chapter 22. And it's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians were political hacks. They, they were following Herod, obviously. And uh, the Lord got on them a little bit. They were trying to trick Jesus and get him in opposition to Herod or uh, Caesar. And Jesus smokes them on this, which is super cool. <laughs> then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said. We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. I just love that interaction. 
Now, it really helps to be the son of God and to be able to read the minds of the people you're arguing with. You know their evil intent and all that stuff. As basic human creatures, we've got to kind of figure it out as we go. And there's something joyful about that as well. But Jesus sees right through them right away. I wish that in our political discourse in America, we would have some of that. Because right now, we're so incredibly politically divided, it's just surreal. In my lifetime, I've seen nothing like this. People sometimes wonder what we're all about as a nation. And, and then people, I, and, and I wonder what the history books are going to write about over about the last 15 years in our country. So you have Republicans over here and Democrats over there. And instead of reasonably talking and working through our issues, we get on one another. We demonize one another. Republicans are painted by Democrats as fat cats who are rich and control money and process and hate poor people and, and are racist and, and those kind of things. And the Republicans paint the Democrats as bleeding heart liberals who could care less about structure and order and law and just kind of want to be hippies running around and doing what hippies do. And, and those stereotypes and those generalizations are of absolutely no good whatsoever. But what the terms Republican and Democrat have done have taken us away from having reasonable dialogue with one another. When Anthony Kennedy resigned from the Supreme, retired from the Supreme Court this week, the Republican people said, right, now it's time, we can take over. And the Democratic people said, now we're going to have it stuck to us and we're going to be in deep trouble. I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought there's something bigger and grander here than being a Republican or a Democrat. Because the uncivil discourse has led to separation, citizen from citizen, family from family, member of family from member family. It's almost like when you have your dinner at your house, the Democrats get to caucus outside under the veranda and the Republicans can sit inside. And in this separation, we lose. We quit thinking together and working together as a nation and as a people. We look at one another first with the labels of their political affiliation and we forget to render unto God what is God's and we wrestle about what to render unto Caesar. That Matthew 22 text is powerful because we're reminded that there are some things bigger and grander than the government and the inscription or the printed images on the money. There are some things that the government can order and they should order things well and do so well with the ideas that are behind them, at least in our country, of liberty and of in God we trust and in out of the many, one, e pluribus unum. Law and order, we believe in certain inalienable rights that are ours just because we're breathing in this side of the daisies because we're created in the image of God. There's stuff that the government does by way of creating order and protection and making sure that those inalienable rights are truly delivered to each and every human being regardless of their ethnicity, their background, how long they've been in the country and whatnot. And for those things, we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 that there's stuff that ain't really about the government the stuff that would move my ancestors and your ancestors to rise up from wherever they came from and to come here. 
There are things of hearts and consciences that the government can't and shouldn't touch. And it's those things, those benefits of knowing God that gather us here together today to render unto God what is God's. And so we do that. We gather together today as one people. We didn't put the Democrats on the left and the Republicans on the right and then going to have a, a dividing line in the middle and just sit and argue about immigration or politics or the Supreme Court or whatever. Rather, we gather together in the one name of Jesus, the powerful, strong name that has outlasted every single government that has come after Jesus. The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords is the one who comes to unite us and draw us together. More powerful than any president, longer lasting, more gracious than any monarch. The one who defeated autocrats and despots, whose people in quiet ways rose up and eradicated inhumane things like slavery under the name of the one true God. That's our legacy. That's our history. That's who we are. Because you see, there's not a Republican in the history of the world that went to die on a cross for you and me. There's not a Democrat who in the history of the world rose up from the dead so that we would belong to God. But Jesus did. The Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the one who rendered unto God that which was God's, His very life for us, so that our souls would be attached to God, so that our hearts would be ordered according to God's grace, so that there would be a sense of forgiveness and a sense of love and softness in our hearts because of the tenacity and the strength of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Something would move a squeaky-voiced Abraham Lincoln to stand up and say four score and seven years ago and to end with a government by the people, of the people, and for the people. You see, we have more in common in Christ and in His love than that which would ever divide us politically. And the cross of Jesus Christ stands for that. And as Christian citizens, it's one of the most powerful things that we have the most powerful thing that we have that identifies us as the people of God. We are His and He is ours. Some things are not the government's to have. Render unto God today your heart and your soul. For He paid for them with the blood of Jesus and brought you into a relationship with Himself by which that Spirit is your constant presence. So how then do we live as Christian people, especially in the United States of America? Well, some would offer that the most important thing a Christian person can do is vote. Well, Jesus doesn't really say that in his work here in Matthew 22. But in Deuteronomy, another reading for today from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, these are the words of the, of the Lord as he speaks to Abraham. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them as phylacteries on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Then the Lord your God when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you 
a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Don't forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you are. And tell those stories. Because the power of narrative and the power of story is what identifies us. You are identified by where you came from. And the story of your great-grandma and great-grandma coming from there to here, offering you love and grace and kindness, coming from nothing and making a life and turning that all over to God and saying, I remember when I had nothing, when we had nothing. And I listened to grandma tell those stories and I listened to grandpa smile with a cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other saying, when minimum wage went to a dollar, we thought we were rich. Always remember and never forget the story from whence you've come. When Jewish children were taught their confirmation lessons as our eighth graders, they would start with this Deuteronomy chapter 6 piece, the great Shema. And I thought about reading, for it, reading it for you in Hebrew today, but I didn't want to show off. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So remember who you are. And the second piece from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, is also a powerful piece. Old Paul talking to young Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I urge then, first of all, that prayers, petitions, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. I've been able to do that. I've done it for a Republican Party in Orange County. I've done it for gatherings of thus and such. I've done it for the, the city council. and haven't been invited to the state legislature or to the Senate or the House in the United States yet, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> People always criticize the prayer you say. And that's okay. Because I don't need to follow man, I need to follow God. So I don't pray that the Republicans would be opened up and swallowed into the ground. That the Democrats would be all struck with lightning by the power of God's hand and that they would all just go away. Rather, I pray in gratitude for where we've come from and who we are. Pray for wisdom and prudence for our leaders and pray that we may live peaceful and godly and prosperous lives. It seems to me that's the way it works and the thing that God has called us to. So as you get after the features of the week, ain't it great that it falls on July 4th? That means both worship services are going to be in good shape this weekend. Half are gone this weekend, half will be gone next week. It just works out good. Remember who you are and remember where we're going together as a people. That last little piece of Paul's, um, Paul's letter to Timothy is awesome. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved 
and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's will may be done in and among those who lead us politically, but God's good and gracious will that all people would be saved is being done here and now and every time we call upon the name of the Lord.